I totally understand that. Or while I have to walk on the beach and do yoga by myself, you're probably not going to be able to write off your yoga mat, Cole. Now, you might be able to pay for the yoga mat from your health savings account that's self-directed. Ooh, check the show notes to see if that's valid. Mike Wazowski, every time I hear Profits First, I think Mike Wazowski, who's not the author from... Uh, from Monsters Inc. Right, just like the book that I want to write, Cole, called How to Bust Your Ass and Make a Lot of Money, that's not going to crush it on the internet, right? It's just not going to sell tons and tons of copies. I used to think about lanes of revenue. What business can you stand alongside your current business that you already have the customers for? Welcome back to the Be Wealthy Podcast with Brett Tanner. It is episode 0005 We've come so far. We've done all of the things, but today I am very excited to talk about how to be wealthy as a self-employed person. This is something I've spent the last 15 years or more of my life figuring out, and I would normally cold do a podcast like this. It would actually be a five-month-long episode if I was a cover all of the stuff that's totally stupid and doesn't work. Uh, and I've tried all those things. So I can save everyone the five and a half months and bring you absolutely everything. We're going to try to do this right at 60 minutes uh, or less and bring you things you need to know as a business owner. Where's the opportunity? What are you overlooking? And how can your business become one of the largest vehicles in building wealth? And I think this is the misunderstanding. A lot of people get in business, they want control of their schedule. They want control of their calendar. And there's lots of incredible things for being your own business owner. But one of the biggest is the tax side because the government incentivizes businesses, right? They need all of us to go out in the world. Why, why does it work that way? Why would the government give different incentive, incentives to business owners versus employees? Well, they, the government cannot go solve the energy to make us more energy independent. They don't have, they have the money, but they don't have the resources and the execution. Instead, right, they've got to incentivize the public or the business to go do that, right? So there's incentives around energy. There's incentives around um, in certain types of investments. Like if you, the most specific example, right, in the, in the world of electric vehicles, for the first so many vehicles that are sold, they get a $7,500 credit per car. Well, that's going to cause more consumers to buy the car. There's also incentives for the car companies to go make electric vehicles. There's some even mandates around, I mean, they have to have. But so the government's gonna go create incentives. So think of the tax code as nothing more than incentives that you could choose to participate in if you wanted to. So with that, let's jump into today's uh, episode, which is all about leveraging your business and how to become wealthy as a self-employed business owner. Again, as we go through it, we're always gonna think through the four variables to wealth. Number one, how much time do you have to invest your money? How much money are you starting with? How much money you put away every month and the return your investments get? That's all there is to wealth. There's four variables and they're always at play and they're always the ones you're working off of as you want to increase your wealth. <clears throat> and we always start here with how do we as a self-employed business owner, the easiest way to become wealthy is the simplest, which you're all gonna understand and say, of course, Brett, increase your income. But how specifically do I go from being a business owner to increasing my income? Well, again, we're back to skills, right? For the first skill you have to maximize is how to drive your revenue up. How do we sell more goods and services? How do we sell more things and make more money? Until your company is hitting a million dollars in revenue, uh, you should be focused entirely on building your sales skills or your sales people's sales skills. Your job, not servicing the revenue you have as fast as you possibly can. You need an operations person, someone who's handling 
the revenue you already have, once you get a contract signed, they're taking that and delivering your product or service. And as the owner, you're focused entirely. That product needs to be incredible. You've built it already. You need to focus on getting more sales, more customers and developing that. There's a number of great books we've talked about in other episodes. Uh, go reread The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. It's a great book. We'll drop that, a link to that in the show notes. But increasing your income. So once you've looked at that, right, is there another untapped area? Is there a business next to yours that would allow you to create more revenue? I'll give you an example. So I'm in the re residential retail business. And there's a number of businesses inside of that that you could choose to participate in. So the first one, logically for me was, hey, every time I get a a closing between a buyer and seller, we've got to close that deal with a title company. So it made a lot of sense for me to go out and actually buy the title company. We disclose all that to our buyers and sellers. It allows me every time I get a closing, right, instead of I, I, I can work with my buyer or seller to use whatever title company makes the most sense for them. And provided all of the rates are the same, they're probably going to go with the one that offers the best service and that's the most efficient, which is going to be the one that, that I have because I'm able to do different things because I own it. I'm able to make it have a mobile notary come to them and all the different things that you can do when you own your own business to cater the service to your clients. But it allows me to capture another piece of the revenue. Another example would be we're in the insurance business. So when someone closes a transaction, I want to make sure that they're number one, one, do they have the right amount of insurance coverage on their home? And number two, are they paying the best possible price? That matters. Well, if I have an insurance company, I can actually make sure that that's happening. And again, my customers are getting the best value. And in doing so, I'm still winning in that. And you can go all of the way down the line. I could step down to the next logical thing could be you could enter into the mortgage business or you could go into, you know, there's all kinds of, there's a, there's actually a business around setting up services where you put on, turn on their utilities and internet and pest control and all of those things. There's a way to make an affiliate fee or own those businesses as far as you want to go. That's called, you know, it's vertical integration. So what other services could you offer your customer that would add value to them and add additional revenue to your business? So becoming wealthy in your business, how can you think about it? And I used to think about lanes of revenue. What business can you stand alongside your current business that you already have the customers for? Anytime you can start a business where to the customers, the likelihood of it succeeding and the likelihood of hitting additional profit is extremely high if you already have those customers in your core business. Next, the way to become wealthy in your self-employed business uh, is you've got to understand profit. Uh, there's an amazing book on the subject called Profit First. I don't know that's one of those books that you actually need to read. Uh, the, the, the title says it all. Uh, you don't need to go set up five elaborate bank accounts only to be more confused than when you started. I, I used to, to bring up this book and talk about it at some of our training events. And it's one of those books. There's a couple of them that I, I really loved until I started teaching, but people were applying the methodology of the book wrong. And so in the book Profit First, I think it's Mike Moskowskowitz. I don't know how you say that, Moskowskowitz, Cole. Uh, and maybe he was in that, uh, what's the guy, what's the Disney or what's Monsters the Monsters, Inc.? Mike Monster. Wazowski? Mike Wazowski. Every <laughs> time I hear Profits First, I think Mike Wazowski, who's not the author from uh, from Monsters, Inc. But so the, the book Profits First, just the idea is you're going to pay yourself the profit you want first. So if you're every month, if you're making $10,000 in gross revenue and you're making $3,000 in profit, their argument is you take the $3,000 in profit first, and then you're going to move the rest of the money in these different accounts. So Spoiler alert, what's going to happen is you're not going to have enough money to pay all of the bills of the business. And what's going to happen if you're not operating on a 30% margin, which would be the 3000, you'll have to cut certain expenses. So it's a way of gamifying 
the game of business. A much easier way is just to actually understand the numbers that drive business, of which there's only three, and you wouldn't need to have the five bank accounts and make it very confusing. Now, it won't sell as many books, right? Just like the book that I want to write, Cole, called How to Bust Your Ass and Make a Lot of Money, that's not going to crush it on the internet, right? It's just not going to sell tons and tons of copies. So, in your business, we need to understand mechanics, profit and loss, margin, expense, cost of goods sold. It's the easiest way in the world to think about it. There's 100% uh, of the amount available. We're going to tend your business makes $100,000. If you want to make a 30% profit margin, you, that is $30,000. The amount left over is $70,000, 70%. Of that, you've got two main light items that are going to affect your business. You've got costs of goods sold. What are the costs associated with selling it? So in the real estate residential retail business, we are all belong to a brokerage. I'm with Keller Williams. So every time I sell a home, a portion of my commission until it's capped will get paid to Keller Williams in my local office and some goes out to the international. A, a, a remaining portion of that is going to go to pay my people and what's left over, right, is known as my gross profit. So cost of goods sold, or think of it this way, your cost of goods sold or kind of all the money that comes out before you have the money to actually operate your business on. Next, you've got your expenses. These are rent, employees, um, toilet paper, internet, all the various things that go through to run your business. I don't know why I threw toilet paper in there, Cole, it makes sense. Um, <clears throat> but all the things that run your business are the expenses. So that's 70% in the residential retail world. I try to have 40% of that goes to my people and then remaining 30% is expenses. So 30% profit, 40% to my people, 30% expenses in things and stuff. And so to do that, I've got to have a great P&L. So if you're watching this and you're a business owner and you're playing the game of business, uh, I would ask you a question on a scale of one to 10. One being, what is a P&L? 10 being, I know every margin I could run, co acquisition costs out and find out every single number that drives my business. Where are you at in that journey? When I started mine, I knew that more money in my account at the end of the month than when I started, I was winning less money, I was losing, and I would adjust all my expenses accordingly. I can tell you that is not running a business. That is absolutely not what you should be doing. You need to actually understand business. And so when you go start a new marketing channel, as an example, and you're investing in it, if I'm, if I'm investing $10,000 this month in marketing in, in my business, the residential retail business, that likely will not create a sale next month, almost impossible. So if I do that for six months at that point, I'll have sales, but that channel's probably not yet profitable. It's starting to get into there, but it's going to take about six months before I have the chance to see that. So I have to have other ways to look at it. But I've got to understand if I invest that $10,000, why did my margin go down? Well, because I don't yet have revenue coming in from it. So I got a way to test certain things, know if they're working or not to come back. So you've got to understand the basics. So let's start with getting a P&L and every item on that's yours. And it's what's called a chart of accounts. It's where all the expenses you know, fit in. And if you drop in into the show notes, if you click link below, we'll give you a basic chart of accounts for most businesses that'll work. And you can add additional items if you have something unique to it, but your, your bookkeeper should fit it into the chart of accounts that makes sense to you. In other words, your P&L should not be something that you're only doing for the purpose to give to your CPA at the end of the year. Your P&L should be a living, breathing document that you're looking at every single month and using it as a tool that allows you to make better business decisions in your company. It, it is absolutely a tool you should be using. And if you're not using your PL that tool, you've got to understand it. And so your margin, there's a certain amount of expenses you should do every month. And again, the residential retail business, it is very hard to get your total expenses to 30% of the revenue. It's very hard to do. 
every single month we look at it and we'll be at 31.4. Well, what does that mean? I've got to look at removing 1.4% or my margin's going to go down, right? I've got to get better at operating the company. There's a certain amount of money it needs to make. If you think about it a different way, I want to like every time I put a dollar into my business, I want to get the dollar back and then I want to make an extra 30 cents with it. That's actually your margin. And it's why when you hear people say the best investment the best investment you can make is in your own company because overwhelmingly investments are not going to pay anywhere near 30%, especially when if you love your business and you believe in your skills and your ability, you're investing that money betting on you, which should be the ultimate investment. So next, where would I go if I want to be wealthy? I, I've said it before, education, education, education. We're only one new tactic or one new relationship away from a radical breakthrough in your business. You're likely not going to get that sitting behind your desk. You've got to get out there and find people that are either in the same journey as you or that one level above where you're at. So go figure out that mastermind. If you're, if you're the dentist, if you're the surgeon, if you're the property manager, if you're the you know, whatever the case is, if you're the apartment, I'm the multifamily builder. There is a group for people like you. Find the tribe that's winning at the highest level and go get in there. Uh, next, I would study leadership. Once your business, as soon as you get to the place where you're hiring employees, you've got to work on your leadership skills, your ability to connect with others, to lead them, to have performance management, to have formal and informal leadership, all of those tactics and strategies become critical the minute you have people in your organization. If you're just starting one of the books I love, it's either The Ultimate uh, Assistant or The Perfect Assistant by Michael Hyatt. We will drop that book in the show notes. Uh, absolutely, if you're it's your first assistant or you recently, you know, you're newer in the first few years of having a personal assistant or a, someone in a support role helping you get more things done, that book will be completely enlightening. Michael Hyatt wrote the, the definitive book on the ultimate, the ultimate perfect assistant, or Cole will let me know here in a minute what that book is. Your world-class assistant. Your world-class, God, was so close. Your world-class assistant, Michael Hyatt. The other book is um, Leading at a Higher Level by Clint, Ken Blanchard. That book, uh, both are, links are in the show notes. Those are the guides that if you read those two, you'll understand a lot of the fundamental things of leadership. Uh, the other book that I absolutely love is The Four Disciplines of Execution by Covey. Uh, we recently had a lot of our partners come in, our, our Be Wealthy Network. We actually power real estate agents across the country. We give them tools and resources and help them build out an investment model to really, you know, no pun intended, to be wealthy. We had them come in and I taught that book, The Four Disciplines of Execution. Get the second edition. We'll drop a link to the actual book. It's an older book, but they did a new edition of it. That will help you understand running projects, how to lead through others and how to get results from other people. At the end of the day, your business, once it goes beyond you, you're going to have to learn how do you take other people and how do you get them to be as effective as you are in given roles and ideally more effective than you. Because right, think about as the business owner, you're in charge of sales, marketing, operation, customer service, profitability, all these different areas where the person you're hiring for a specific role can far outperform what you can do because they've got a focused effort on a very specific set of tasks. So leadership becomes a part of it. Uh, next, I go down to once your business is making significant money and it's where you're paying significant taxes. So when you get to the end of the end of the year and you get your tax bill in the first couple of years when you're like, oh, before that happens, when you're trending into it, you need to start thinking about your tax plan. 
right? What is your tax strategy? Do you have a plan? You should actually have a start of the year, end of the year checklist, things that you're thinking about that are unique to you that you're going to build over the course of your career. Every, we just, as we're filming this, it's in the first part of January, and I just did my first of the year checklist, right? I did all the things that I set up every single year from opening, you know, funding my health savings account, which I choose to self-direct. There's a way you can self-direct that. We'll cover that here in a minute. I set up, I pay, you know, all my kids' payroll. I uh, overfund my whole life insurance policy. Uh, I Once my kids are paid, they can fund their Ross. There's all these things we do uh, at the start of the year as a part of my annual check-in process. And I'm going through all those things, right? So I'll kind of start in, in no specific order here, but if I was at zero employees, I had to and I'm paying taxes, your business is performing, you're looking for places to invest, I would highly recommend if you do not yet have employees, but you're in business for yourself, set up a solo 401k. It's something you can set up until you have employees. And you can go out and you, number one, those could be, it would be an after or before tax. So you can set up a traditional or Roth. My recommendation would be to set it up, max it out. I believe the amounts are around 69,000 as of 2024 that you could put in per person if your spouse works in the business. Uh, they don't count as an employee. That can be another 69,000. Once that money's in there, so that's over $138,000 for both of you. You could turn around, so you've got a deduction because it's a traditional, you're going to get to deduct that and pay tax on what's left. What I would prefer to do would be to turn around and put all of that into a Roth account. So you got a deduction simultaneously, you basically gave that back. But now what we have is we got $138,000 in a Roth account. Now there's tax implications you got to get with your CPA and make sure that you understand the taxes here, but you've now got $138,000 that all of the gains all of the gains until you pull it out, right, at 57 and a half or 59 and a half. Uh, Cole, will you check and see when you can first take a distribution from a Roth? It's, I think it's 59 and a half. And, and, but you don't have to take it then. So you, all of those gains, though, are tax-free. So you need to go to the Be Wealthy calculator and take a look at, if I'm investing money and I've got a 30-year horizon, what is the cost that I'm going to pay on all of this amount when I pull it out? And would I rather pay the tax today pay tax on the seed or you're going to pay tax on the harvest when it's a, when it's millions and millions of dollars later. So a solo 401k convert to Roth. And then I would absolutely set that up to be self-directed. We love, love, love Horizon Trust. I love them. Why? Because of their customer service. A lot of the custodians uh, are out there. You're kind of on your own on a do-it-yourself project. Horizon, you can reach out, talk to a real person who can talk specifically to your situation. Uh, so once there, if you go beyond that, the next opportunity would be at some point you have employees, you could freeze that policy or kill it. And now you've got those funds you continue to carry on in your Roth. Uh, you could look at I, one of the things I've looked at is a cash balance plan. I found a way to put a cash balance plan where I've got to put the money in for my employees, the one ones, the ones that want to opt in, which they should, if they're at the place that this makes sense for them. And, but a large portion of that's going to go to the highly compensated people or the older that they are. It's the way they do this actuarial, not an actuarial table. It's called a safe Harbor. So they go through and kind of run this analysis on who your employees are, their ages and their compensation. And it basically tells you out of this 100% of the money, here's how it's all going to get allocated. As the business owner, you're going to get typically about 80 to 90% of that structured correctly, depending on your age, your compensation, and the age and compensation of your people. About 80 to 90% of that could go into a cash balance plan that could be self-directed. Now, this is one of those, I'm going to get a tax deduction today, 
but I'm going to grow this over time. I will have to pay taxes on the way out. The reason I'm doing it is I'm not paying taxes as I go. I can, it's tax efficient while I'm growing this account. Um, another option is we talked about that, um, a health savings account. So the, the numbers for 2024, it's $8,300 for a family. You do have to have a high deductible insurance to do this. Most policies will qualify, but you need to make sure that yours does. It's $4,150 as a single person. That is a check you would write from your business into a specific account called a health savings account uh, that you are allowed to, number one, you can pay for medical things. And there's a whole list of those. We'll have a link for you in the show notes of all the things that your health savings account can pay for. You can also self-direct this account. So I don't have a tremendous amount of medical bills today, but I know as I get older, that is a reality that will occur. And so what I want to do is put money in there and it all grows tax-free. So if I can grow that, put in a small amount of money today, grow it to a large sum of money, and then as I pull it out and pay for it, I pay no tax, that makes a lot of sense to me and it's an investment in my future. It's one of those things my 70-year-old my Brett Cole is going to be grateful for the 43-year-old Brett or was really like the 37-year-old Brett that set up a health savings account and self-directed it. <clears throat> the next option up would be, um, I think about my kids' education. I don't love 529 plans because they force me to invest in mutual funds or predetermined investment in the stock market that I don't personally believe in. And so I love the Coverdell. You can put up to $2,000 a year per kid. There are some income limitations, and so you may have to find a way to do it, or someone else might put that in there for your kids, and maybe you reimburse them, or you got a way to do that. But once you get the $2,000 per kid in there, you could self-direct that, and again, use this same strategy. The, the Coverdell, it's, it's like 529. It can be used for education, We'll put a link in the show notes for all the types of educational things you can use. It's pretty broad. It's not just standard, you know, state school or university or private school. There's things you can even use for private high school. There's lots of different things that can go there. And so again, I'm going to have expenses for my kids to go. I would either place that money today, try to get <clears throat> an outsized return, betting into things where I have an unfair advantage, and then use those funds later uh, as opposed to paying the tax today. Inside of your business, right? When you look at inside of the business, are there personal expenses? One of the exercises I would have you do is take all of your personal expenses, go and download those to Excel. If you use like a Chase or one of the major credit cards, most will allow you to get those into Excel. And I would sort it by the largest personal expenses you have and sit down with your CPA and ask the question, is there a way legally that some of these are actually business expenses or what activities would I need to change or what do I need to do differently so that this would be a valid expense in my business? There's some things like that are on the edge, right? As an example would be, I know some CPAs would say, can you write off playing golf every Friday at a men's league? And I think some CPAs, Cole would say no. Uh, and I'm sure many of you can comment in the comments uh, and I've had another video like this where I got blasted online. However, if my networking group is literally passing referrals back and forth and handing business and I can document that I go to this group and I generate $135,000 in revenue from that group, I feel confident that my CPA and the IRS right, would agree that is a necessary expense in the course of business, I'm actually making money. Now, if you join a tennis class and it's a solo thing and you've never made any money from that, I totally understand that. Or while I have to walk on the beach and do yoga by myself, you're probably not going to be able to write off your yoga mat, Cole. Now you might be able to pay for the yoga mat from your health savings account that's self-directed. Ooh, check the show notes to see if that's valid. 
but you may not be able to write off the actual yoga through your business. So look at those personal expenses. What would need to be true so that this expense is valid? There's a great, one of the best books to get you thinking about tax deductions is Tom Wheelwright's Tax-Free Wealth, the second edition. He also wrote, if you want to be more on the tax side, Win-Win Wealth Strategies is his newest book. But it gives you, it doesn't, it tells you some strategies, but it more tells you how to think about deductions, think about the tax code as a playbook and something you can utilize more to get more to get more deductions out of your business. Next thing I look at inside of any business is see if your business qualifies as a specialized trader business. And the question you want to ask your CPA is, are you maximizing 199A? Are you maximizing it? Everyone will likely be getting it, but it may make sense to increase your payroll, which provides you other opportunities, whether in your it could be in your solo 401k or your cash balance plan as your payroll goes up, you can likely fund these things at a higher level. So are you maximizing 199A? There's a ton of math to it. We'll drop a link that'll show you more info and you can walk into your CPA and make sure that math is working out. It's a function of your net profit and the amount of payroll you have in your business. But if you're a specialized trader business, like we are as real estate agents, you can get a 20% deduction on your net, on your income, provided that certain wage limitations are met. It's a ton of math. It's super nerdy. Just go to there, make sure your CPA doesn't just say you're doing it because everyone's probably doing it but are you maximizing it to the to the maximum extent that you can? The next is my favorite called the Augusta Rule. One of my favorite stories, which Cole already knows where it's going. We teach the Augusta Rule, and one of our attendees said, Brad, the Augusta Rule does not work if you are not living in Augusta, uh, which is unbelievable. And I was like, that very few offenses with the CPA are a fireable offense. That is 100%. Fire your CPA, get rid of them, because they are a moron. You, can, It is absolutely not... Uh, has nothing to do with Augusta. So the Augusta rule is section 280A of the IRS tax code. Again, we'll drop a link for you there. You can read it right on the IRS website. Here's how it works. All these guys and girls that live near the Masters Golf Tournament Augusta wanted to rent out their homes. They want to rent them out to 14 days per year as a tournament's coming in there. And I want to pay no tax on the money that I receive as rent. Awesome. Wouldn't we all love to have pockets of money that we don't pay? Well, they lobbied for it and they got it passed into the tax code. It's section 280A. So what it says is you could rent out your home to your business for business purposes up to 14 days per year. The business gets an expense, so they get a deduction that applies at your normal tax rates. And as an individual, you receive that income, you pay no tax on it. The way this needs to work is you would go out and find a hotel that's reflective of your home. And if you're going to have a meeting, let's say you're going to go to a hotel and I need a, a 20 by 40 room. I need a projector, something I could have slides on. We're gonna have a meeting here. I'm gonna need food and beverage minimum throughout the day. We're gonna have different presentations. We need microphones or whatever we need. And we're gonna get a bid from that hotel. Once I've got that bid, and let's say it's $3,000 um, $3, per time, I could do, if I had meetings at my home, now these gotta be real meetings that you're having. They've got an agenda, they've got a purpose. They're necessary business meetings that you would be having somewhere else. And instead, you're having them in your home, which is a bigger facility. It offers more, um, more options, more amenities than your standard hotel. So if you did that, it'd be $3,000 per time, up to 14 days per year. 
gives you a $42,000 deduction. The business would pay that to you. You would even sign a lease and document and get with your CPA on the exact process they want you to follow here. But if you're in the max tax bracket, just the federal portion of 37%, that would save you $15,000 per year. Not one year, but all of the years that you do this. And so it works on your primary residence. It works on a second home that does not have other rental income. Again, if you rent it one day as an Airbnb, which again, if you haven't watched our video on Airbnb, I can tell you that I'm anti and I'm still looking for the person that's crushing it that's actually willing to prove it and show their tax returns. If you are that person who's crushing on Airbnb, reach out to us at Be Wealthy Brett. We'd love to hear from you. And if you can document and prove that you're absolutely crushing it, meaning you would show your PL and tax returns, we might hire you to come in and actually teach some of our people. So I put that out there many times, Cole. We have yet to have the person take us up on it. Everyone is crushing it yet. Uh, they get real quiet when you ask them to see their tax return. I don't know why that is. But so the Augusta rule, your second home, you could do another 14 days provided that you're not running it and you are having the meetings there. Completely valid deduction, something for that you're likely already doing but not taking advantage of. Next, let's look at entity structure. Are you taxed as the right entity? A lot of people watching this, you're going to be an S-corp. And S-corps are so overused, and I didn't really understand the negative parts. The positive are you get to avoid some, some self-employment payroll issues. You can on the, you're going to pay yourself a W-2, a reasonable wage. And then any of the dividends you take out, you don't have the self-employment tax due, which is why a lot of people do it. It makes a lot of sense. Here's where it goes bad. You do not want to own hard assets inside of a sub S corp. You can, but when you move them outside of it, it triggers a taxable event. Super nerdy. Bottom line is make sure you've got the right entity for the right purpose. And if you're going to buy a bunch of single family rentals, probably an LLC tax as a partnership is the best strategy. But think about how that's going to be owned. What LLC owns that? How does that link up to your trust? You need to make sure that the entities that you have are set up correctly. They're set up to maximize taxes. And you understand that the current setup and when you're buying something new, you need an advisor like, hey, I'm going to start a new business. Um, it's going to do XY widget factory. Where should it fit in my current structure? Next, we'll talk about paying your kids. And for, so this year, 2024, you can pay your kids $14,600. And that money would come out of your business and into the family management business and go right into their checking account. So you can pay your kids up to the standard exemption. Where there's a certain amount of money, which we'll find out here in a minute. And you could pay your kids. That amount of money would go, you would come from your business, and you might, you'll want to set up a family management company or a way that you can, there's a way you can avoid the payroll taxes through a specific structure. And we'll give you a link on how to do that. Once that money's in there, they can now, right? They need to actually be doing work for your business. So your kids must work there. We've got a list of a ton of jobs that they can do, which we'll give you a link to that. All of these different jobs your kids can do. Your kids may already be working the business. We just need to document it and make sure that the work makes sense for the compensation they're getting. Provided they're doing a lot of work that's valuable, that warrants it, you can pay them that $14,000 number. That money goes right in their account. Now that money's in there, they can pay for things like cheer, football, horseback riding, all the personal stuff, all the stuff your kids do. You're kind of getting a write-off on it because it's coming from their account. It also teaches responsibility. They can use their debit cards and pay for those things. Level two of this this is now your kids can go out because they have earned income, they could set up their Roth retirement account. And this is where it gets to be crazy. So I'm going to do, I'm going to go to our Be Wealthy calculator and plug in some numbers here. But if you pay your kids, I started paying my little guy when he was seven years old. 
And so we're going to put it, he had, he, I did it to say he was 65 years old. Uh, he started with $6,000, we'll say funded as Roth. And he's going to put in $500 a month and he's going to get 12% interest. He's going to do that for the equivalent of what is that 58 years. I'm just going to run it. I'll make it an even, I'll just make it an even 60 years. So I went from seven years old to 67, started with $6,000. It's $500 per month he's going to put away. I'm going to do that until he turns 18. It's up to him to do it from there on. And if he gets 12% on his money, how much money is that? Cole guesses online. Do you want to guess how much money it is? Do Something you know? Something crazy. Let's say $5 million. Uh, that is a great guess. And that would be, it's only $500 a month. So I would see how you might guess $5 million. Here's the crazy part. It's because it's 60 years. It's $72,323,096. What? What? That's what I said, Cole. So the total contribution is really 366000 That's the amount of he would put in. But because of the time horizon, because it was that long, $72 million. This is the point where I want to look at my parents who will never see this because it's on YouTube. If it was on Facebook, my mom would be the first like. But because it's on YouTube, they'll never see it. But guys, we should have had some financial tools. I wish you were a part of Be Wealthy. I wish this podcast existed uh, when I was born in 1980 because what a gift if I would have had that. If someone would have gave me 72 million coal, it would have solved a lot of that tricky guesswork from that zero to 72. But so getting your kids going. Now, the next part, the last part is the learning piece. Make sure if you're doing this, spend the time educate them on the returns. What are they invested in? In the beginning, they're going to have small dollars. So I, if you've got multiple kids, I've got three. I took all of their individual accounts combined using, I, I work with my custodian and we'll give you a link to those. I combined them all into one. So now they've got $18,000 in a single LLC. They can invest alongside you in deals. So if I'm buying a, a home as an example for $100,000, and let's say they've got 18000 in their self-directed Roth accounts combined. I could come in as an individual. I could come in with my Roth. I could buy that. So they would be, whatever, the 18% of the purchase price. It would literally read on the deed, 18%, my kid's LLC, uh, 82% Brett Tanner LLC, Roth LLC, or whatever it is. They can invest alongside me. The money's got to go in as a percentage. It's got to come back out as the same percentage. You cannot have prohibited transactions. There's rules you have to follow, but it creates a really cool way for your family to start investing together. You're teaching them about wealth at a young age, and you get to have different conversations. Every every month or every quarter, I make my kids run the returns on their Roths to see what they're actually making. Next, the thing about investing, right? Where are the real estate investments you can make to grow your business? The best one is, do you own your own building? If you don't own your own building, does it make sense to? Now, offices, a little soft as we are looking at 2024, some employees are not coming back, but depending on what type of office you're in, can you get a bargain, right? Does the office market soften more in 2024 and you could buy your building? Over time, rents will go up. One of the reasons I love buying the real estate that my companies occupy is it allows me to lock in my long-term housing and then over a 20 or 30 year period, whatever financing period, it ultimately is paid off, and now I'm just getting that as cash flow. Or I and I and usually if I sell the business or move, I always keep those buildings and rent them out to someone else. Additionally, right, we've talked about depreciation, cost seg. If you qualify as a professional real estate investor, buying real estate becomes one of those tools that allows you to create more wealth. Right, buying real estate. If you buy another, there are people that make millions of dollars every single year that pay zero income tax because they buy a lot of real estate. No, it's not because they're tricking the tax code. No, it's not because they're bad people. They're not the wealthy that are just 
scamming the system. No, they followed the IRS rules, bought millions and millions of dollars worth of real estate, and the depreciation from that, they get to write off against their earned income. The government wants investors, you and me and all of us, to provide housing for others. It's one of the things that they're focused on because they cannot solve affordable housing. So we buy, they incentivize us through depreciation and other incentives in real estate to do that. If you're going to get cost segregations or you're going to invest in real estate, you will need a cost segregation. It is very, every commercial building, nearly all of them utilize Cossacks, uh, every commercial building. It, it's not that popular in residential or wasn't until we started talking about it about five or seven years ago. And the challenge was finding a great company that would do a cost segregation that didn't charge a fortune to do it. Because if they charge you $5,000 to do a cost segregation on a single family rental, unless that rental is a million dollar rental, it's actually not going to make sense. Well, we went out and found a company that really they specialize in they specialize in single family rental cost segregations at a price that makes sense. It's our friends over at US Tax Advisor Group. We'll give you a link directly to them uh, in the show notes and you can reach out. They'll give you a free proposal. You go to them, you tell them your basis. There's a little bit of information they need. You can actually go back in time. So if you bought a rental property anytime, after October 1 of 2018 is when the tax law first changed around bonus depreciation. And we're back down to 80%. I think it might be 60% this year, but there's still significant bonus depreciation. If you bought a rental property after October 1 of 2018 and you qualify as a professional real estate investor, it would almost always make sense unless the purchase price was so low, like 20 or 30 grand. Other than that, it would make sense. I would tell you no matter what, go get a free proposal from our friends at US Tax Advisors Group. Take that to your CPA. Again, you've paid nothing. Hey, if I went and did this, here's what it costs. What would the tax benefits be to me? And then make an informed decision for your unique situation alongside your CPA. In nearly all the cases, I can tell you it does. We could give you hundreds of testimonials of people that come to one of our events and saved hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes. It is one of the vehicles to help you create wealth is maximizing your tax bill. And it's hard to beat bonus depreciation uh, when you look at it that way. As an example, some buildings have much more depreciation than others. As we sit here, as in 2024, uh, gas, we'll use car washes and gas stations have the majority of their property fits into a shorter time frame. So when you do a cost segregation, instead of depreciating the property as a residential house over 27 and a half years, or as a commercial property over 39 and a half years, what's called straight line, the same amount of depreciation every year, you're accelerating it. And they're breaking that house down into five-year, 10-year, 15-year. There's different property lengths of time they're breaking down that building into. Well, car washes and oil and lube stations fit into a much shorter time frame. So just to give you an example, if I went and let's pretend that I had uh, $720,000 in income, in, and that's what I was going to make in 2024, and I went and bought a million-dollar car wash, and let's assume that 90% of that purchase price was building and 10% was land, so 900000 is the purchase price of the building, and 100000 is land. Again, it's the million-dollar purchase price. We're going to figure out and work with your CPA which portion is building and land. The more portions building, the greater the cost segregation early on. If that was the math, 80% of the current building price, the 900000 which is $720,000, you could depreciate in year one, which means if I made $720,000 and I bought that million-dollar car wash, kaboom, Cole, I would pay zero. 
zero tax in 2024, all because I chose to do that. Now, I don't want to be in the car wash business per se. I'm not opposed to it. I want to buy the real estate lease it back on a triple net base, the car wash. You could go to LoopNet and go find some of these. Let's even put a link coal as an example of one they could see right on LoopNet as a car wash. Probably you will find one that's like a 6% cap rate. That's pretty standard, triple net. But it make it, now again, it's a 6% cap rate. It's not a crazy return, but it's net, net, net. It's going to go up probably 2 to 3% annual increases. Hopefully there's 15 years left on the lease with a great, great, amazing tenant. And Again, the tax incentives can make a lot of sense. There's a number of other things, whether it's if you've got a lot of capital gains, you can look at an opportunity zone. Maybe you sold some stock or some investments in your business and you've got a capital gain. You could start your own opportunity zone fund and then it, if you hold, if you make investments from that and hold those 10 years, you would not pay tax if you sold them at that period of time. That's beyond what we can get into here uh, in terms of a strategy, but there's tons of ways. So when you get the tax game, it's about where are you at? Most of the things that are going to involve you investing in things or spending money. So depending on where you're at in your growth and your net worth and your income and your savings might dictate some of the, the options around taxes and what you do, but there are options. Everyone should have a tax plan, a strategy, and be thinking about how do I lower my costs? Uh, we had a couple questions that we reached out and put in our Facebook group, our BeWealthyPodcast.com or BeWealthyBread is the Facebook group. And we're with, if you've got questions, you can ask those and we will answer some of those live on the podcast here. Episode 0005, Cole, going very, very strong. First question comes from Tom out of Cincinnati. Out of all the tax strategies, where would I start first? Uh, I would start with the low-hanging fruit. Where are the easiest ones? Augusta rule. If you're already having meetings, move those to your home. If you've got the expense side of things, go look at your expenses. Are there things in your personal world or things you're spending money on that you could come up with the way with your CPA to make those business or change those expenses? Can you change the facts, as Tom Wheelwright says in his book, to make that an expense. One example is just if you're vacationing somewhere, you're having a corporate retreat every year. What if you bought that property um, and you or you bought a business in that area? Can you now expense some of those travel items as you go back and forth? The airline tickets, some of the meals, some of those things. Can you think differently about it? Uh, I would look at the Roth side of things. I would look if if you're don't yet have employees, the solo 401k and converting it to Roth makes sense. Uh, if you've got an old 401k converting it and self-directing, it makes sense. <clears throat> From there, then it, be it becomes looking at your business and where's the best opportunity. Do you want to buy your building? Does that make sense today? It is where can you where can you go from there? If you already own things, maximizing that. I would start with what are the easiest things that have the least cost? And then the goal being to build a system out of it. Can you build a system, a start of the year, an end of the year checklist? So these are things that once you go figure out the strategy, work with your CPA, you put it in practice. Now it's something to just repeat, uh, just rinse and repeat and keep doing it every single year. And you can keep adding to it over time. We've got a list. There's probably 20 some things we do at the start of the year, 20 some things we do at the end of the year. And it, it's just a part, it's all a function of things we've built over time and we're constantly adding, refining and making it better. Uh, next question, what would I do if I'm a solo real estate, solo roofer or different? Uh, as long as you're a business owner, right? I would look at that 199A, make sure I'm maximizing that deduction because you're something you're already paying. Uh, I would go there. Um, make sure that you're set up as the right entity, right? Do you, are you taxed right? Are you following the right 
structure? Are you, do you have, you know, are you filling out the annual reports? Do you have a PNL? Are you filing the right tax returns? Are you keeping the right records, right? A lot of, so much of the tax game, so much of the tax game comes from just clean records, having document and clean financials so that you can actually go to someone and explain it. Now, keep in mind, part of the tax game, right? There are certain things that your bank is going to look at negatively, certain things are look at positively. So depreciation, if you take a huge loss, they have, there's certain things that are called addbacks. They're going to add back in that depreciation. Certain things are not. So if you write off something and make no money, it's going to be make, it might make it hard for you to borrow. There was a time in my career where I potentially might've been able to write off more uh, more things on my tax return, but I needed a higher income. So I didn't take the write-offs because I needed a higher income to become more bankable. Uh, today, that's that's not the case. And so I'm, I want to take off as many write-offs as I possibly can. Another one will be your car, right? How are you looking at cars? If you, you can either have actual usage, right? The gas, maintenance, all that stuff, or you could have mileage, a fixed rate per mile. And so depending on how much you drive, it may make sense to take one or the other, but having a strategy around your car purchase makes sense. If you're in the roofing business and you had a record setting year and your truck's about to break, it might make sense for you to buy a brand new truck because if it's over 6,000 pounds, you get to write off, you could run that entire purchase that year, provided that truck's used entirely for business. So there's certain things you might want to look at at the end of the year. If I'm having a better year, at, towards the end of the year, I want to look at how can I pull the next year's expenses forward. So towards the end of 2023, we look at what are the services and things and expenses we know we're going to have in 2024. Can we prepay those to take advantage of the loss in 2023 and lower our tax? tax bill and then improve probably in 24. And so then we'll deal with that problem. Then you're kind of in some ways kicking the tax can down the road into a different year. All right, Cole, as we're wrapping up here, I think we've given a ton of different ways to think about how you can maximize the wealth opportunity. We will break these down. If you've got additional questions or comments, please put those in the chat. It helps us know what topics to speak about in the future to go deeper. If you're thinking about a health savings account, if you've got more medical bills, like there's a health reimbursement account. There are so many financial options and tools and strategies you've never heard of. If you've got questions on the ones we talked about, you want us to go deeper, please comment. We we are doing this to open the eyes of folks and show how everyone can go out there and be wealthy. This was episode 0005. We'll be back here next week filming another episode. This is Be Wealthy with Brett Tanner, episode 005. Go out, be wealthy, crush it, kill it, boom. <laughs>